59.59 the fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. We'll get back into the Leafs after 8 o'clock here as the Leafs have now racked up a point in eight straight. They dropped to six, though, in NHL points percentage For behind shame. the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, but, yeah, back in action tomorrow night in Hockey Night in Canada at home against Kyle Dubas, Sidney Crosby, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Tuesday home date against the, the Rangers, and they go on the road for a couple in Buffalo, in Columbus. Over, under, three and a half camera shots, Kyle Dubas, Saturday night. I, if he's here, like you said, like is he gonna is he gonna just not show up? And if he's here, is he also not gonna do any media? I, I know the request for the from the station has been out towards mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh Penguins. He has not. Uh, he has said that yeah, it won't be doing media yeah. this week leading up to this game. If he's here, he's not gonna speak. Maybe he just doesn't show up at all. Man, that'd be uh, there will be takes one way or another. If he's here, there will be people. Ah, oh, God, he had to come. Couldn't you stay? Then there will be people upset if he uh, if he turtles and doesn't show. So yeah, I can't wait. I cannot wait for the reaction one way or another coming mm-hmm. out of that game. Going to be a fun night. Uh, it will. Uh, <laughs> boy, Al Michaels probably not having a ton of fun yesterday. I mean, other than at looking got at the to, bank account, at least he got to like at least things happened. Could have had the Raiders sure. last game. Yeah, what a <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, go from no points to 63 of them <laughs> uh, as they beat the Chargers 63-21 on Thursday night football. By the way, we hadn't talked about the Al Michaels getting chopped from the postseason roster at, at NBC. Which Terrible. Is, yeah, wow. Uh, hard times uh, bef- befalling uh, Al Michaels. Anyways, Raiders just put it to Easton Stick, who ends up with three touchdowns. But, yeah, the, the Chargers are, the, like, so very done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they indicated to us that they were so very done, allowing 42 points in the first half. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Staley's um, a dead man walking here. Feels that way. I mean, it feels – okay, so each and every time this this job comes up, and there's still the Justin Herbert there who's mm-hmm. out for the rest of the season with a broken finger. Yeah. Um, it feels like whenever this job becomes available, and it comes available quite often, mm-hmm. it's viewed as one of the, the best in the NFL because at least they've got a quarterback. Yeah, that they do. But considering the way it's gone, even with Herbert putting up great statistical achievements mm-hmm. over the course of a season, is that still a good job? Like, that that franchise is cursed, and they have no home field advantage and everybody's waiting for the worst thing in the world to happen to them. Is that still a good job? If you are a confident and capable offensive coach, I still think you look at that as a really good job because of the quarterback. But the difference with Herbert as opposed to some of the other guys you talk about in that spot, and I don't begrudge them for doing this. You obviously have to take care of a guy like that, but his big contract's about to kick in. And obviously the biggest advantage you can have in the league is a dominant quarterback on the rookie deal. No longer going to be the case uh, once that extension kicks in for Herbert. So that's the only thing that knocks it, in my opinion. They're cursed for sure. But I think that you still look at that and look around at the quarterbacks we've seen, like your your Tim Boyles, your Tommy DeVitos of the world. Yeah, I'd ra- much rather go to war with Justin Herbert. Yeah, no, that's for sure. When you're comparing him to Tim Boyle, and don't don't put Tommy DeVito in the the same I will company. Okay, that guy's a winner. Okay, he just he just knows how to win. I don't know. I think a lot of people viewed that Chargers team as like a landing spot potentially for Bill Belichick, mm-hmm. who, yeah, we didn't talk about the report uh, from a number of days yeah. ago about his days being numbered in New England, which you could have inferred, right? Like, could have guessed that uh, Bill Belichick was not returning for next season. Mm-hmm. Is that a spot you'd want to see Bill Belichick? The, the, 
I know the last four years haven't yeah. gone so great, but like one of the game's great winners and, oh, he just needs a quarterback, boy. Well, so With the, that cursed franchise? Well, the thing about, so it, this is interesting. It's like, I don't think that's a great job for Belichick because the stakes are immediately so high with him of, okay, you have your quarterback again. What's the argument here if this doesn't work out? Because the argument you can make about everything that's happened post Brady is, well, yeah, you show me the guy who's winning and Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi, which I don't know is a totally fair argument, but mm-hmm. I think that's the crutch he can have to stand on. If he goes to the Chargers with Justin Herbert and it doesn't ultimately work out in his favor, then they're not gonna he's not gonna have, have that leg to stand on if it's Bailey Zappi under center. Yeah. I So that's why I think somebody like him has to be more careful, whereas maybe a less established, like let's just pick a guy who's like your Eric Bieniemy, who has yeah. constantly been bandied about and apparently no longer I guess he forgot how to coach an offense, apparently. I don't know why he's no longer bandied about in that way, but somebody like him makes a lot more sense to me in terms of the stakes than than a guy like Belichick. I think like I'm on high alert for Belichick to just be done coaching after he appears on college game well, day. I think that like, was a that was to remind everybody how good he is at talking football when he wants to. We'll see. Anywho, week fifteen of the NFL season, we are here. Uh, let's talk to Charles Davis, the NFL and CBS and NFL Network. He's in Arizona right now. How's it going, Charles? Going great. How are you guys today? Doing doing very well. Um, I think pretty clearly there's going to be a coaching change. Uh, with that Chargers team either this week or uh, at the very least at the end of the season. We're just talking about, is that still a good job? Like, I know they got Justin Herbert, but it feels like it's cursed. Whatever whatever, uh, the head coach touches there just turns to, to, to garbage. Is that still a good job? I think it's a good job in terms of players, talent, um, the ability and the surroundings that, that tell you that it should be. I think sometimes we run into, as you mentioned, you use the word cursed, and, you know, I think we're using it somewhat facetiously, but you think about some of the better jobs out there that we think are better jobs, and then we ask ourselves, why is the code not cracked there? Like, if I take it into college football, why would Arizona State not be a top 15, top 20 every year? Got facilities, got weather, great place to be. Um, you walk that campus and, and you take a recruit and have their, their head swivel like crazy. <laughs> and go, well, why am I not here? Right. Why are they not top 20 every year? San Diego state. Why would that not be get an own camp, their own on-campus stadium. Now, again, they've had pockets of success, but you wonder why would that not sustain? And we probably do that for every job in every sport, different places that you would think this chargers group. Now that they're back in Los Angeles, not that San Diego was a bad place. That was a tremendous place to be. But back in L.A., building their own new um, facility, with practice facilities, a quarterback that every coach would salivate to build around in Justin Herbert. But it doesn't stop there. You ask yourself, why is that defense not better? Khalil Mack has still got it to the point where he had six sacks in a game. Joey Bosa, when healthy, is terrific. You got rookie to, you know, young talent, Dan Henley at, at the linebacker position. You go into second there, there's Derwin James that's there, Asante Samuel. So there is talent, and you just wonder why it's not better. So to your point, that's what it is. People are like, I don't get it. I would still I would still call it an excellent job. Now you gotta find out who is going to who you're going to be working with. If indeed there's a coaching change, will there be a change at general manager with Tom Telesco? Will there be a sweeping front office change? Will the new coach have an authority to make those types of changes or be able to work in tandem with the general manager that he trusts? All those things will come into play, but let's be honest about it. If Justin Herbert's there, the interest level for that job is going to be beyond high. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's how I, I tend to uh, tend to see it as well. And, you know, it's just weird, right? Like a lot of people thought, I think, thought Kellen Moore was going to come in there given all the work he did in Dallas and just kind of wake everything up there. And it just, and, you know, I'm not going to put that on Moore. I'm also not going to remove him no. from the equation either, right? So, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Yeah. The, the other one I, I have. Want, real quick. Please, on, yeah, hey, yeah, real, yeah, go, real, yeah, go ahead. On that one on Kellen Moore, real quick. Listen, the bottom line with them is they have done enough and more on offense to win a lot more games than they have. Most of the issues that they're going to have will be on the defensive side of the ball. And it's puzzling. (laughs) Again, when you just take it with raw talent, people out there running around, it doesn't make a ton of sense. They made moves to try and get better. Sometimes those moves didn't pay off because people were hurt or they didn't play up to stuff, whatever. But the head coach also is in charge of the defense. So that's, that's where your indictment is. And when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert, and they are putting up points that are good enough to win most games, and he has a 500 or less record, that doesn't make sense. And it's things that you have to look at and have to analyze. So you're right. You don't take Kellen Moore out of the equation. But I do think that it, it, for the most part, the issues that we're talking about on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I I agree there. Uh, another quarterback, uh, albeit a younger one, that I wanted to ask you about is Justin Fields. Uh, Bears going to have some yeah. decisions to make here. And, you know, I think they love that they've had their hand forced a little bit in terms of, oh, is this actually a decision now uh, with what you've seen out of Fields? You know, we know how gifted he is uh, as a runner. We see the arm talent that's there hasn't always yep. ended up in a, in a great passing offense. What do you think is the right play for the Bears here, just given the fact that, you know, the most valuable thing is a rookie deal and Justin Fields Fields is going to be yep. out of his in the not too distant future. Yeah. Let it play out for the rest of the season and see how it goes. Because right now you've got a couple of decisions to make. Remember probably about three, four weeks ago, we were probably saying, Hey, this bears job is, is an interesting job. If someone else were to come in, it kind of felt like it was headed in that direction yeah. that the bears would have that opportunity or that, that decision to make. I feel like that's becoming less and less with Matt Eberflow. Take a good look at how they played on defense in the last four or five weeks and even beyond that. Take a look at how the offense is starting to come alive a little bit. Luke Getzey, the offensive coordinator, and Justin Fields are really working well in tandem. And it's not just him taking off and running with the football. And after the deal that was made last year by Ryan Poles, the GM, they are going to have two – they might have two picks in the top five. Mm-hmm when it's all said and done. And if you're thinking, hey, I like the direction we're going, I like what we're doing, two picks in the top five to continue to build around, that might be the way to go. But don't make your decision right now. You have the four games left. Make them play out. And in fact, even let these guys know, guys, these next four games are extremely valuable for for your 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 future, our future. We need to find out what we have here. And we could very well say, you know something? I like our coach. I like our quarterback. Let's build around them as opposed to starting over because it's almost irresistible. Oh, we can go get a quarterback. Mm. Well, they don't always work out. We know that. If we like what we have here, that might be your best play. Uh, the final four games of the season, super important for the Buffalo Bills because they control essentially no tiebreakers here. And the biggest right. test they got down the stretch coming this Sunday in the uh, late Sunday uh uh, time frame against the uh, Dallas Cowboys team that may be employing the the MVP this season. They wrap up the season in LA against the Chargers, Patriots, and then uh, Week 18 against the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I guess we'll talk about the, the the Chiefs later on in this conversation. But the AFC does feel pretty wide open. Like I don't I don't know if you view the the Ravens as some juggernaut. If the Bills get in, do you think they could do some damage here, Charles? Certainly, absolutely. That team is talented enough to come out of the AFC and go to the Super Bowl. The idea that they're in the position they're in now, I think, is probably a little bit staggering to all of us. Like, did we expect that we talk about Buffalo having to make a late surge? In order to be a factor in the playoff, probably not. But you flip it around to the other side, as you said, since it is so wide open, the key is just getting in. I don't think anybody's worried about home field. You know, we say we are, and yes, you want to play at home. I'm not downplaying it. But the home field advantage in the NFL over the last three years has kind of come down to 50-50, right? Now, in the playoffs, is it a little more heightened? I'm sure it is. But I don't know that anyone, as you said, is such a juggernaut that you're saying, well, we can't go there and win. I just don't know that that's there. And when Josh Allen plays as well as he played against Kansas City, and we see that week in and week out, yeah, I wouldn't want to be dealing with Buffalo if they get in. They have the talent. They have the quarterback. They have the pedigree to get it done. And finally, when I say finally, let me, re- let me rephrase that. They actually have their backs against the wall, which is something they haven't had in a little while. Yeah. There was some of that pressure that was a discussion earlier. But they really have it now, like truly where people are saying, well, they might have blown their, their, their Super Bowl window. And I think that this team is riding that. Everything that happened with their head coach you know, a week or so ago, afterwards they, they kept telling how they had his back. This might actually be a galvanizing thing. You never want to say the thing that Sean McDermott said. I mean, he, you know, he totally messed up the lesson. We know that. But it might be a little bit of a galvanizing thing for a team that's talented enough to go to the Super Bowl. So – if I were the AFC, I would hope that they don't get in because if they get into the playoffs, I don't know that I'd want to deal with them. Yeah, they do feel like the the one team that everybody's sitting there going, come on, everyone, pull on the rope together and, and keep these guys out. Because I, I, you know, I don't want necessarily a date with Patrick Mahomes, but after him, uh, Josh Allen might be the next scariest guy. Yeah. And, you know, just with that game, like we all know how narratives work in this league, right? They're going to go and beat the Cowboys and we're going to say, look at that. The Bills are back. They're beating yeah. Super Bowl contenders or... They're going to lose to that Cowboys team, and we're going to say, ah, that's what happens when they play a truly good team this year. Like, it's just, it is all right there for the taking. Uh, the game I... You know, you know yeah. real quick, you know, it's, a, you know, it's a, re- a really weird one now because we've talked about it. Mm. Let's say the Chargers make a change before the season's over. Yep. Let's just say that they do. I'm not advocating yes, no, whatever. I'm just saying, yep. what if they just go, okay, we're going to go interim coach right here. Now, guys, you know what you do when you do that? You put the whole team on notice. Mm-hmm. All right, which one of you guys is going to be back next year? Because obviously you guys didn't play well enough to keep your coach. So if that's the case, are we keeping you? And now all of a sudden Buffalo goes in and you yeah. got to deal with guys who are playing <laughs> for their lives. And that's a powerful force to deal with. So if I'm Buffalo, I hope that they're keeping Brandon Staley. <laughs> I don't want him gone when I have to go there because that can change that can change the math and the equation of what you're dealing with out there. Yeah, man. Just ask the the Raiders and Antonio Pierce and everything everything going on uh there. I gotta ask you about yeah. this this Sunday nighter. Uh it feels like this is a real measuring stick game. I don't know that anybody has the Ravens or the Jags as the best team in the AFC, but I think people will look at this one and say, okay, I'm going to learn something about at least one of those teams in that yeah. game. What are you expecting to see in the Sunday nighter there, Charles? Well, I'm expecting to see a, a Baltimore team we've seen throughout the season, and I, we've said it before a couple of weeks ago. There was a point in this season where you could look at Baltimore and say, I don't understand how they have a loss. 
not because they were a juggernaut. Again, I still didn't feel that way. But the three games that they lost were very weird, right? They lost Indianapolis at home when they controlled most of the game. They absolutely throttled Pittsburgh for 98% of the game. They throws a bomb late, and somehow they walk out and they lost. Like, how did that just happen? Those types of things. But at the same time, flip it over to Jacksonville. They were riding so high. Things were looking great. In the last couple of weeks, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got a few questions here. Mm-hmm. Quarterback played hurt last week, can't move the ball. And Calvin Ridley should be one of the most explosive receivers in the league, and we've seen games of that this year. But we've also seen six, seven games where he hasn't had 40 yards receive, catching the football. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So you've got to figure out what's going on there because they've got to find ways to consistently move the football. And losing Christian Kirk at receiver is a big, big loss for them because he's such a leader in the room they got a couple young kids playing now that he would help them get lined up, know their assignments, give them confidence. They don't have that guy now. And Evan Ingram becomes your primary pass catcher at the tight end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ask Kadarius Tony how important it is to have that vet to help you line up. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know, maybe yeah, it's Travis but, but, Kelsey's but here's, fault. But here's, yeah. the th- here's, here's the thing. <laughs> you, ha- you actually have to listen. <laughs> okay? You actually have to listen. But, uh, Kadarius Tony has people there who are, who are more than willing to help him. You actually have to listen. Yeah, that would help. Um, yeah, that 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 Jags team lost to uh, the Bengals with Jake Browning a couple of weeks ago. There's a number of teams that are either in a playoff spot right now or just hanging around. And the Bengals are just on the outside looking in the AFC. But who the hell knows what's going to happen uh, at the bottom of the AFC playoff picture right now. But you got the Bengals with Jake Browning. You got the Browns yep. with a rejuvenated Joe Flacco who's got a, a contract that could pay him a couple of million bucks uh, if uh, if they get into the playoffs and, and keep winning. Gardner Minshew, I, I think we all know what he is. But, yeah, he's, yep. he's getting it done with the Colts and Vikings now turning to, to Nick Mullins as well. Is there any of those teams with, with, with backups that you think are actually more than just cannon fodder once they get to the postseason? It's Cincinnati and Cleveland. I'd go right to the AFC North with those two. Jake Browning has always had the confidence in himself. None of us knew because there was no reason to find out. <laughs> right? <laughs> we didn't have to worry about that. Joe Burrow was the story, and that was the deal. He has come in. We had his first start against Pittsburgh, and they ended up losing that ball game. You know, And since that time, he's gone to Jacksonville and won. Right? He's played really well in these last couple of ball games. Cincinnati looks like, oh, okay. That looks a little more like Cincinnati we know. So as a backup, he's playing pretty well. Joe Flacco, you just mentioned, straight off the couch, throwing for over 300 yards. They've now signed him to a new contract. He's a starter the rest of the year. And the way their defense has played for most of the season, yeah, those two are the most dangerous ones for me. I'm not saying the others can't be, but those are the two I'm identifying. Look at the AFC North, guys. Baltimore is the only team that has its quarterback. Pittsburgh's on a backup quarterback in, in, in Mitchell Trubisky. Cleveland, Cincinnati, backup quarterbacks. Joe, Joe Flacco, who is their fourth quarterback in Cleveland, and Cincinnati with Jake Browning. It's a wild deal, but defense rules all in the AFC North. Mm-hmm. All of them have defenses that are really good. But Jake Browning and Cincinnati, I'd keep a real eye on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he I, does have some moxie. I can't lie. I don't know what it is. He just, he's got that <laughs> he, feel about him. He, he and Minshew. Yeah. Right? Think he, about it. He and Minshew. Right. Minshew's moxie is a little bit on the strange side. Yes. Right? Agreed. We're talking about jorts and, <laughs> and, and the mustache and all the other stuff that goes with it. But you can't deny that he puts it together when he gets on the field. Jake Browning's moxie is, 
Fontana, California. Excuse me, Folsom. He went to Folsom <laughs> out there. Isn't that where Johnny Cash wrote the song? Yeah, yeah. Folsom Prison. This guy, this guy, this guy threw ninety-one touchdown passes in a single season. Who are they playing? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, all those things that go with it. But now we're finding out that both of them have that moxie that you've described. Yep, uh, it is the year of the backup. Uh, Charles, always a pleasure. Enjoy the weekend. Hey, thank you. You guys do the same. See ya. There's Charles Davis, NFL on CBS uh, and NFL Network in Arizona for the Cardinals and 49ers. Yes, I said that correctly. Arizona. As in, as in 421 local time, <laughs> just hanging up the phone, and I hope going back to bed. Actually, I, I could, like, I wouldn't put this on him. I would never tell him to do this. Yeah. But, like, would you be shocked if he's like, well, I'm up, Jim. Yeah, him, oh, my God. Not, like, definitely not us. No. Him, though. Oh, you know, yeah. Like, former professional athlete. Still mm-hmm. in shape, all that. Yeah, yeah no, I Not don't, us, I don't think he's slipping back under the covers. I, I got I'm like, uh, does a Mohegan Sun have a buffet <laughs> I could go to right now? That's what would be happening if I were me, God, but that's yeah. also why I wasn't. What an absolute pro, but also somebody with, like, a good brain. Like, the synapses firing as well as they were yeah. for, child, for Charles. Not that I'm not impressed by that, but I'm impressed by that less than most. Because I do feel like you could wake me from a cold stupor mm. and... Go Leafs, and I need a second. And mm. Azo, my understanding is Azo does a little like shadow boxing with him uh, mm. before the hit starts. He's like, "Yeah, what about the Bengals? What mm. about the Browns?" He's like, "Okay, I'm good to go mm. now." Then we get the real conversation with him. So I'd need a bit of that as well. But yeah, good for him. Yeah, tremendous, tremendous stuff. All right, time now for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. Still no clarity on the length of Draymond Green's suspension. Indefinite. Yeah. This season, he's put a man in a headlock, and then he's open hand slapped another in the face. I don't know what you call that, like a punch? What did Rick James call it? What Mm. did five fingers say to the face? Okay. Slap. He's going to need counseling. Like, he's going to have to better himself as a man, as exemplified by his head coach. The the Warriors taking to the, the podium yesterday in their first media availability since the Draymond Green indefinite suspension. Here's Steve Kerr on his embattled star. I, uh, I think the uh, suspension makes sense. Um, you know, to me, this is uh, about more than basketball. It's, um, uh, it's about helping Draymond. I think it's an opportunity for Draymond uh, to step away and um, to make a change um, in, in his approach, in his life. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. That's not something you say, okay, we're going to do five games. And then he's going to be fine, right? Um, the league did that in five games after the incident with uh, Rudy. Um, that's not the answer to, to pick a number. The answer is to, to help Draymond and give him the help he needs, give him an opportunity to make a change that will not only help him, help our team, um, but help him for the rest of his life. This is not just about, you know, an outburst on the court. Um, this is about his life. Okay, so everybody disagrees with Are me. Are you going to be okay, Ben? No, everybody disagrees with me, <laughs> including people who actually know the man. So, yeah. like, I, I guess I'm I'm out on a limb. But I, I got to tell you, like yeah, I said I know. yesterday, it just seems like a sporting thing <laughs> to me, okay? Like, is Draymond Green hauling off and punching cashiers in the face? Like, I don't... Not to the best of my knowledge, he is punching teammates I in feel, the face. I got to be like, honest, even I feel that like is a, know if that happened. No kidding! <laughs> In his life, we need to get, like, as if he is, like, some animal. 
in the real world. We're still talking about a sports thing. And it's not even a sports thing where people are in real mortal physical danger. Rudy Gobert is going to be fine. Like, okay. (laughs) Yusuf Nurkic, okay, he went down and like, but then got up. Like he did, he's an open hand, uh, open hand hit to the face. Not allowed, and you should be suspended. And the suspension should be getting longer. Right. But it's still a sporting thing, okay? I don't, I, I to for me. Yeah. And again, I, I'm not there dealing with Draymond right. Green on a daily basis. He didn't punch you in the face, Jordan Poole. I just, I, I feel like we're overdoing it with Draymond Green. Like, like, like he's gonna. Come out next time we see him in the Hannibal Lecter. Like he's going to be wheeled out there, right? Great, like it would with, be a great bit if they did have him there. I <laughs> is he a bit of a jerk? Probably yes. in real life. Yeah. Okay. Again, how much of what what he's done here on the court right. recently is a result of a person needing to get themselves to a state emotionally in which they can be one of the best defensive players in the history of said sport. Right. It's just a sports thing to me. Why, why do we have to do this extra layer of things that is happening? Again, I, I guess I'm totally wrong here because I don't know Draymond Green and, and, and yeah. no, I, to the best of my knowledge, nobody's pushing back to this narrative. In, in fact, people are leaning into it. It's like, right. this guy's got to go away mm-hmm. as if he's, you know, stabbing people on the court. He's doing things that you shouldn't that. be allowed to do yeah. and are bad, but not honestly dangerous I, I i i don't think what he did to rudy gobert and yusuf nurkic is dangerous and may, maybe you think it is i don't think it's dangerous no i mean like i don't think he should do it but no i, I think don't. it should be illegal i think he should be ejected i think he should be suspended because, okay. but it's a sports suspension i agree with all of that the only thing that has made me feel different than when we talked about this a little bit yesterday is the and not you know, when I hear it from Steve Kerr, that to me sounds like a guy who like, does he care about his players and wants the best for them? Of course. Yeah. Like I'm not, like I do believe that, but that to me feels like, okay, we're going to lay the groundwork here. NBA. See, we're take we're all taking this very seriously. Mm. When I hear it from Steve Kerr, that's my, that's where I go to of like, you're effectively just, no, he just, said his life. No, no, like, no, he, no, but there's still an indefinite suspension. This is all like, I look at it like a victim impact statement or something. It's all part and parcel of playing to the crowd of Adam Silver, whoever's going to decide this, of making the suspension be whatever. That When I hear it from Steve Kerr, that's what I hear. But when you start to hear it from the other kind of more plugged in national people of these types of things, I do, you know, you hear that we've seen this in sports before where you go, eh, eh, maybe stay away from that one. Eh, maybe don't talk so much about that one. And that is the kind of overall tone we've been getting from the kind of more plugged in NBA people. So it does give me pause and make me wonder, but... Do I agree with your general sentiment that it's a sports thing? Yeah, it's a sports thing. It was a sports thing when he punched Jordan Poole. Was a sport. And to your knowledge, if this was happening off the court, I would think mm. now wouldn't be the first time there's been, ooh, that's happening in someone's private life. It wouldn't be the first time that that's happened. So, I and I want to be clear, I'm not accusing Draymond of anything or anything along those lines. I just think that there, the way it's being talked about makes me think there might be more kernels to that stuff than I would possibly have Draymond should lean into yesterday. it. Like, if he wants to rehab his image, he should lean into it and be like, yeah, you know what? I'm getting help. I, I, I need help. Well, Even if he doesn't believe it. The other thing I was thinking about all this as well is that, and this is, you know, we've been having kind of similar conversations in the NHL is that what is, what does it mean to do that job in the NBA in 2023? 
because there are legendary stories that Charles Oakley has told into microphones about settling disputes at players-only meetings and fights at all-star weekends and players' association beefs. And Charles Oakley is still looked at as a, you know, I guess not in Madison Square Garden if James Dolan's involved, but generally speaking, a beloved figure in the history of the game. It's like, ah, there's Jordan's protector. Don't we Mm -hmm. love that guy? And he was doing way worse stuff than Draymond Green was was doing. So I just, to me, it's interesting of what it means to do that job in the NBA. The other thing that I think, and this is something, I think Richard Jefferson made this point on a pod, that the NBA got rid of all, I forget what word he used, but it was something and the bullies. It's like the bullies are all still there. You're Draymond Green's of the world. But you don't have your enforcers, your Charles Oakley types that are act like you know. I'm not calling Draymond a fake tough guy. He looked pretty mm. tough against Rudy Gobert. Oh, got to get. There's nobody to police the rats. Well, it's not lost on me that the Pacers signed James Johnson right after everything mm. happened with the Bucks there to like a 15 day contract or a 10 day or whatever it is. Yeah, I do black think, belt. I do think there's some element of that you know so i i it's all very interesting to me i don't get nearly as worked up by the uh tomorrow of uh a, a phrase i feel like you'll appreciate the 2023 of it all i don't get so yeah. worked up by that as you do uh but yeah i think it's interesting i for don't sure. think there's a societal ill at prob uh, like a play here like I, and I, I don't think draymond green like is yeah has a history of violence in his personal life i i don't believe that to be the case if it is like boy yeah. I'm going to look like different. an idiot yeah, you, next you, week if, like, oh, he, the time away from the game and, like, uh, oh, my God, he's arrested for assault today. Like, okay, that guy needs some help, mm-hmm. serious help, like, obviously. To my understanding of the situation, it's a sports thing. Like, he's a very eloquent speaker and, like, okay, he doesn't take accountability, he doesn't say sorry, but, like, I think he knows what his deal is. Like, he's has eyes. Like, he understands what's going on here. He also understands his job. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I still can't get to the place where I'm like, this this guy needs to go through, you know, a, a, a counseling process and, and needs to be a, a, a pariah from society for a bit uh, before he comes back to play basketball. I just, I see it as a basketball issue, but that's just me. All right. When we come back, Jordan Cairo, um, didn't He's crying. like Craig Berube all crying, that much, crying. I guess. Well, he wasn't crying when Craig nope. Berube was... So uh, summarily dismissed. He is crying now that he's been not reprimanded, but booed mm-hmm. as the result of his comments. <laughs> we'll we'll play that audio for you. Uh, and also, uh, Elliot Friedman with an interesting little nugget from 32 Thoughts Very. about how much uh, the NHL players are still buying into selling the game to the national media. That and more next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 59 of the Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Congrats to Drew Bannister, who is the latest recipient of the new coach bump, hmm. taking over for Craig Berube in St. Louis. And as a direct result, not that the Senators are one of the cellar dwellers in the Eastern no, Conference. No, no, no. no, it's because of the head coach change. It's a great fight in that game, by the way. Uh, Drew Bannister is 1-0 in his NHL head coaching career as they take care of the Senators of 4-2. to 
Um, that was part of the story. But I think afterwards, the bigger story was Jordan Cairo. He's only got five goals this season after 37 a season ago. And in the aftermath of the Stanley Cup winning head coach Craig Berube's mm-hmm. dismissal in St. Louis, he was asked for his reminiscings of Berube's tenure. And he said, I got no comment. He's not my coach anymore, which is pretty tepid, but like it's it's telling in its, sure. its lack of detail, right? Of like we all know what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he could have been harsher than that, certainly. Yeah. Anyways, throughout the course of the game, the Blues supporters pretty vociferous in their lack of support mm-hmm. for Jordan Cairo. Um, and then afterwards, he was asked about one, his comments about Baruby, and two, the reception he got on the ice. Jordan, uh, how difficult is it to? Have the fan base react the way they did tonight? Were you hearing the booze on the ice? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely heard those. Um, I mean, it's not easy, obviously, but you know, I, I see where they're coming from. How how my comments sounded, so that's yeah, definitely tough. I mean, you know, I love playing here. I love playing in front of the fans. So, yeah. How were you able to focus then tonight? And you feel like you had it? Um, <laughs> it's definitely the toughest game I've probably played, to be honest. You're getting pretty emotional here. Where are the emotions coming from? I mean, it's just tough, right? Like, you know, I love playing here, so it's just it's tough to hear the fans booing me there. Sorry. Jordan Cairo moved to tears. Like, you don't see that very often. You really don't, man. I, and, yeah, that's like, I, there's no, there's no getting it twisted about how Jordan Kyrie feels about it. Like, there's no... You can't fake no. what, what went down there. But, like, I don't know if I've ever, like, in a sporting context, seen anybody as emotional as I saw Jordan Cairo after the game yesterday. Yeah, and where my mind immediately went to was, oh, my God, like, the Leafs get booed. The Leafs are a good team, and I feel like they get booed off the ice mm-hmm. three times a month. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is when it's a team, like, you can... You can, you know, strengthen numbers, right? You can sit there and go, it's not me, it's us. It's him. It's solely directed at him. Just to give a little more color to this, so, of course, Barube was a coach. He came in as an interim that year. Mike Yo got fired early on in the season. Now, Kairu played 16 games during the regular season for that team. Black Ace during the playoffs did not play at all. So you, of course, wonder how much of that colors his perception of Barube. But again, this has also been the coach throughout the entirety of his NHL mm-hmm. career, other than those 16 games to, to start things off. The interesting part about all this to me, and there's a, there's a lot tied into this. This is a guy who's starting a eight-year contract extension that pays him just over $8 bucks a season. And he hasn't been abysmal, but he's been more or less a point-per-game guy the last couple of seasons, and he hasn't been that this year. So that's also weighing into this, but it's just the loyalty that kind of survives in the afterglow of a championship. It's not lost on me that he wasn't part of it. The team that this group of fans looks back on and they go, play Gloria. Like Pat Maroon, not there. Ryan O'Reilly, not there. Alex Pietrangelo, not there. I'm sure there are a ton of other guys we could list. But you know who else wasn't there? I know he was, but he wasn't doing anything. was Jordan Cairo. And it's this very odd thing happening where they have this core that they're building around that touched the championship window or the championship, but that group is gone. The head coach is like the final blow of it all. It's just, it is very interesting to me. The, the, 
the dynamic between him and that fan base right now. I mean, who's more sensitive, Jordan Cairo or the Blues fan base? I've got no comment. He's not my coach anymore. Like, take it easy. Like, well, well I, I think I do think part of that is waiting for I, I do wonder how much of it was waiting for the excuse of it's a guy who has a contract kick in. He hasn't been performing there. Hey, like this market is far from immune of having a whipping boy that is the embodiment of all that ails a franchise like we've seen that a million times. I do think that's that's why he's getting it there. So is it a little sensitive blues fans for sure, but it's also four years removed from a cup. What is happening here? Why does this team stink all of a sudden? And you, you mm-hmm. didn't even do anything that year. So you know what? You said something, Brad, about our sweet Craig Barube, and you can eat it too. Like I do kind of, to a certain extent, and there's a lot of been respecting of booing talk lately. I respected the Islanders fans for doing it, and I, I kind of respect the Blues fans for doing it. I do. And now it's a good point about the Leaf fans booing their team off the ice last night through 40 minutes. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's a thing that happens yeah, and we it, move on. Yeah, but it it, it was the team. They yep, were booing the team. Like, and everybody can go back to that, that dressing room through 40 minutes. Well, and one, understand that, yeah, we played like hot garbage. We stink, yeah. <laughs> so that was deserving. But also, like, we're all in this together. Like, mm-hmm. I can't think, especially this tenure, some uh, a, an individual player being booed as the result of something they said through the media. There's been lots of derision post-season about, boy. Though I think the last time, and I don't know that he wore it individually in the way Kairou did, but the aftermath of Salute Gate with Fanuf mm-hmm. feels like that was the last time there was this much eye, and for non-play. Like, John Klingberg was not a popular Leaf early on this season, but he yeah. wasn't getting booed every time he touched the puck. And I don't think that was happening with Fanuf, but there was definitely a moment after Salute Gate oh, he where he wore it and he was the face of that <laughs> core and everything. God. I don't need to. Please Never don't make me forget. defend Dion Fanuf again. Please oh, don't. my God. Never forget that a captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs staged, like, a silent protest against the fans. I know. Good stuff. It's just miscast the captain, though. He would have been great <laughs> okay. as a two. Wow, you do have some I, D- oh. Dion Phaneuf defense thoughts? Yeah, like, of, of course. He was a good defenseman. It's, mm-hmm. it's the Morgan Riley thing. Nobody made him the captain, though, and he's a good defenseman that you said, oh, boy, if there was only, like, other good defensemen here or, like, I think Phaneuf was a great leaf the captain stuff, I just think it was, it got a lot for him and anybody being the captain, you know, thrust into that at that moment in their life, I think it was probably a lot for him. But I, yeah, I've sure. taken years of my life defending Dion Phaneuf and I'll do it again. Like I, that's the, the salute gate garbage is yeah. indefensible. No, 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 that I can't defend, but okay. his, his run, like his run is a leaf. <laughs> I could defend all day. Oh, salute gate. It's terrible. What a it's time awful. to be alive. What honestly, what a time <laughs> to be alive. Uh, okay. I'm good on Kairou. You want to move to uh thought two in the great yeah, 32 is, thoughts column. Is, they're, they're not ordered in list of priority, but sometimes it does feel like it. This is thought number two yesterday from Elliot Friedman. Also, whatever he's cooking better be good because only was only 27 thoughts wow. this week. I know. I think, I think we're Slouch. lucky. I think we're lucky to get any thoughts oh. out of Elliot Friedman. Well, that's so how 27 is plenty for That's me. how I feel when I do the show with you every day. Of like any thought yeah. is like that's a bonus. That's but nice. Friedge, you know, he set the bar. All right. It is called 32 thoughts. But he should just he should just call it thoughts question mark and then every time we get more than one or sorry every time we get more than two it's like mm-hmm. bonus content. All right, this is number two. Uh, when the NHL brought its GMs and coaches together in Chicago before the season, one of the things that were told was media, especially rights holders, 
and fans were demanding more all-access style programming. He adds, full disclosure, I work for a rights holder, we know. As part of that, it was made very clear that anyone asked to wear a microphone did so. Sometime this week, a note went out indicating that some of these requests were being declined, and this is to change right away. I bring this up not to, quote, wave the media flag, but because one executive noted to me Wednesday that this is a real change in attitude from the NHL. It is never pushed as hard as, hard as it is doing right now. Things are changing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what does that indicate to you? Because to me, that indicates that the NHL is seeing some attention slip through its fingers sure. here, right? Like they understand what's happening around the other North American pro sports, that that things off the, the court, off the mm -hmm. field, that the narratives continue to feed the beast mm -hmm. that is the media surrounding the NBA yep. and the NFL. And the NHL would love to have some of that. And it's the season started with, boy, what was the conversation we were having about this league and Connor Bedard mm -hmm. at the beginning of the season? So well, much holy media. cow. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you you can argue that you're getting sick of Connor Bedard, but kudos to this league for mm -hmm. pushing the next great star yep. of this league. Maybe that was starting to to fade in, in the eyes of uh, the NHL and its executives because the players, I, I guess, didn't see any return on investment. That's, that is a little bit concerning. Well, it is concerning, and I see that side of it, but I got to be honest where my mind went when I read that is, you know, the players should take onus to sell the league, and they should try to do that. But the, when I want behind-the-scenes footage, I don't, like, I don't need Matthews mic'd up to hear the, like, woo! when he scores is it fun is it sure, sure like and the stuff i really enjoy is you know like there was a moment from this preseason when brady kachuk and Sidney crosby organized like a salute bring it back to salute gate a salute to the fans in an exhibition game in nova scotia and it's like do i love all that stuff it's great i don't think that grows the game i think this is a classic case of the league going yeah well we got two partners here we got owners and we got players and i'm not allowed to yell at one of them i am allowed to yell at the others and players you got to do more the Leafs, I bring it up again, they signed up to do the Amazon behind-the-scenes mm -hmm. series that gave us the quote from a member of the, the staff that said they have demons everywhere, and the Leafs just had to live with that, being out there. And then no team signed up to do it again because they said, ooh, that's bad. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't want that. We'll do, like, the Super League-friendly one that's, like, road to the Winter Classic or whatever. Maybe we could do that where the tension spread across several teams. So did the players have to have more ownership of it? Of course they do. It's literally their paychecks on the line. And every time Austin Matthews looks at his bank account and goes, why doesn't this number start with two instead of one? Or when, when he looks at his AAV, that there's definitely some ownership of that from the players. But I think the league as a whole, they just want to push the players out, push the players out. I don't know. Would the league not be more interesting if we could actually have trades, if there wasn't a flat cap, mm. if it wasn't so hard? But no, no, no. That, that would be asking the ownership to do something. And that is a bridge too far. I think every time Bettman speaks. Mm. So that's why I look, that is the way I look at it. You can point to the players. You could say things, but there are many levers you can pull. Why did they not force? I don't know. Pick a team, the Pittsburgh Penguins. That seems like a pretty interesting team that even me as a non Penguins fan would watch a 24 seven style series on. Mm -hmm. Why don't you make them do it? Yeah. The NFL doesn't need this, but the NFL does it not every just, year, not just in training camp and not just in, Preseason, but yeah. like now they do an in-season all-access show, Hard Knocks, right? Mm -hmm. Like they do an in-season Hard Knocks. That the 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 NHL would think that that's like too well, far a bridge to cross, unless it's the Leafs, 
and then you can make them do it and they can be the good soldier and they can do whatever that is to get the money in the coffers or the interest or I don't know what the league got out of it, but clearly they thought something, but you can make them do it, but you can't make anybody else. Mm -hmm. And that is the part that just infuriates me that, yeah, you have the team that does all the work doing all the work. They're the team playing in seven, six games with crazy comebacks every night. If somebody else wants to do their part to sell this league, it'd be great. And yeah, slap a mic on Bedard. Sure. Awesome. Mm. Would love Create to hear more it. viral moments. Yeah. I think is what the, the intended consequence of this is because yeah, I, I don't necessarily need the platitudes and like the grunting or like getting hit into the boards, but like they're the, the positive we've heard in some of these 24 seven mm-hmm. all access shows and the players being mic'd up. We've heard some interesting stuff from the yeah. play on the ice come out of these things. David Clarkson, protector of water bottles. Yeah. <laughs> I will worry about water bottle. <laughs> That's great. Like even Sidney Crosby, man. Yeah. Like we've heard it from him. So like, again, just pick the Edmonton Oilers. Imagine there were cameras in the locker room this mm. year. Like now it's kind of boring. Yeah. Oh, oh, they they win. oh the Oilers are winning with yeah. Connor McDavid's uh, whole team around him. Team McDavid. Yeah. Great. Shocker. Mm-hmm. But early on this year, couldn't have watched that enough. That would have watched it twice. Factory. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. Well, this Saturday, Hockey Night in Canada, we got the Pittsburgh Penguins in town at Scotiabank Arena to play the Toronto Maple Leafs as Kyle Dubas returns to Toronto, maybe. Sidney Crosby as well, continuing his great run into his advanced age. Uh, 7 o'clock, obviously, on uh, CBC. Penguins 13, 12, and 3, 7th in the Metro. The Leafs with a point in 8 Straight games coming off a five-goal third-period deficit to escape with a point against the Columbus Blue Jackets on Thursday. Um, I'm expecting more high-scoring, uh, high-flying uh, hockey between these two teams on Saturday. It's really a question of who you think is going to dictate the game. If it's a Penguin-style game, I think you like the under. They've gone under in 10 of their last 13 the over has hit for six of the last seven Leaf games. So it's going to kind of depend who you think is going to dictate the the terms of this game. Generally speaking, from a Leafs team, we would see them bounce back in this spot. So I, I'm with you there. I could see there being a, a lot of offense in this one. And, you know, they, the Penguins have two all-time Leaf killers in, in Crosby and Malkin. So it feels like they are, are super, super due for a big night, one of them as well. I'm not telling you I like it, but I'm mm-hmm. telling you I think that will happen. Yeah, the last time these two teams met was in Pittsburgh. It was that second game after the Sweden trip mm-hmm. where they lost to the Chicago Blackhawks and the Pittsburgh Penguins. They lost that game 3-2. to two. I think we might see Martin Jones tomorrow, which would be part of the reason why I would think you might have a lot of goals scored. And yeah. Yeah, every superstar seems to enjoy playing well in, in the city of Toronto. I think Sidney Crosby, well, he's playing well everywhere, but I think that continues as well on Saturday. And... Maybe some money on the board for Kyle Dubas's bunch uh, on Hockey Night in Canada at Scotiabank Arena. That was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. You think Martin Jones starts on Saturday? It's, it's very plausible. I still think they go back to Samsonov. I do. Okay, we'll discuss that a little bit uh, and more next. Like, is there a force feeding required of Ilya Samsonov considering? the statistical season he's putting up, considering that the upside clearly exists in him that probably doesn't with Martin Jones, who's only 33, by the way. Feels, feels like 43. A, yeah, he feels for He's only 33. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
an interesting decision to come for Sheldon Keefe headed into a uh, Hockey Night in Canada matchup at Scotiabank Arena tomorrow. We'll talk to Luke Fox, Sportsnet's Leafs reporter next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.